0: Ah, Welcome in again, everybody, to another version, another edition of the Wisssports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager, football writer at Wisssports.net, serve as your weekly host of the podcast that we started this fall on WSN. I know you're probably getting sick of me. We haven't had a lot of guests on. In fact, only one so far, Wade LeBecky from the WIAA. But I promise you that once we turn our attention, especially to basketball, We'll have a full slate of guests join us, especially and often WSN boys basketball writer Mark Miller, content manager and girls basketball writer Norbert Durst will be weekly features on the podcast. But as it's football time and we're smack dab in the middle of the football playoffs, along with the other fall sports, of course, going to be flying solo much of the time the next week or well, a couple weeks still, as we wrap up the high school football season, And before we really get big into turning our attention to the winter sports, of course, Mark and Norbert are already doing a great job looking ahead to the winter sports. You can find the girls' basketball conference previews that Norbert's doing right now. Look for divisional previews, player rankings coming soon as well. Mark Miller, hard at work wrapping up the Wisconsin basketball yearbook. He expects to ship that, uh, I believe, a week from today. So if you haven't already... Make sure you pre-order so you can get out on the initial shipment of the Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook, the Bible for high school basketball fans uh, of boys basketball in the state of Wisconsin for many years. I believe, and I'll have to double check what the cover says this year, but I believe it's year 34 of the Basketball Yearbook. Great publication, incredible what Mark has done with that and continues to do, and obviously make sure that you pick it up. Either on WBBY.com, you can look for it on Wisports as well, is in a few, although not as many, bookstores. If you can find a bookstore still, newsstands, if you can find one of those somewhere, a few of them here or there. But certainly your best place to get it, just order it online, wbby.com, wisports.net, get it delivered right to your door and dive right in on all of the great information that Mark produces. But as we said, we are into the playoffs now. We are past level one. We are down to just 112 teams left in 11-man football, just four teams left in eight-man football. The number of games that we have left dwindles. The number of teams remaining continues to go down. And it was an exciting level one. I think there were a lot of different storylines to to talk about, a lot of different things to, to go over, to kind of keep things streamlined. What we're going to do on the Wisports.net podcast this week is kind of take a look at the big storyline in each division and go division by division. Maybe it's something that happened last week. Maybe it's something coming up this week. Whatever it might be, we're going to talk about the big storyline of each division on the Wisports.net podcast. And, of course, don't forget, that you can follow us, uh, obviously on our website, but also on our social media channels. Be sure to check out the Wisports.net Facebook page, all kinds of information posted there. You can follow us at Wisports.net on Twitter. You can follow our football scores account, which auto-tweets final scores as soon as they go final in our system from every game around the state, at footballWSN. And don't forget to give me a follow as well, at TravisWSN. I'll try not to rile anybody up about uh, uh, anything this week as I did earlier in the week. Some folks didn't like my choice of uh, of descriptors of a uh, person that's not happy about a football field potentially going in at Madison Edgewood High School, but that's okay. Can't please everybody, right? But let's get into our division-by-division division look at the high school football playoffs in level one and what we have to look forward to in level two. And again, we'll take a look at the big storyline. And I think in Division one, the big storyline is, is pretty easy. You had the Big Eight, bad. Classic Eight, pretty darn good. Now, the Classic Eight, some of their teams are in lower divisions. Uh, but if you look at what happened in level one, I think that's the, the big storyline, the Big 8 Conference had six teams that qualified for the playoffs. And only one remains after level one of the playoffs. And that's Sun Prairie, the co-champion in the Big 8, who played a Big 8 team in Middleton. Had to get by them in a, a really exciting game. But Sun Prairie's the uh, the only one left. And unfortunately, that this isn't a new situation for the Big 8 of struggling a little bit in the playoffs. A lot of times the Big Eight schools get grouped in together in the same bracket, in the same grouping, and uh, they don't like it very much, and understandably sometimes. But a number of times in the last few years, the, the, the Big Eight hasn't done very well. And some of the teams that come into that grouping, whether it's Fond du Lac like this year or a few years ago, Kimberly's come in, some of the Classic Eight teams like an Arrowhead have come in. Uh, and kind of handled the big eight teams, uh, a number of different times over the years. And again, only one big eight team left three big eight teams lost in level one of the playoffs at home. You had Kettle Moraine go on the road to beat Janesville Craig. That was a, a blowout game. Arrowhead blew out Verona, probably the biggest eye opener score of the entire state, regardless of division. Arrowhead won 63-21, and we've talked about it before, but how about the the turnaround for Arrowhead? Losers of three straight against three excellent teams to begin the year, but you started to wonder what was wrong with Arrowhead? Well, after winning seven in a row, there's a lot to like about Arrowhead. They've got a tough game this week. They go to top-ranked, undefeated Fond du Lac, and if you're Fond du Lac, how, how about that matchup? You're the Undefeated, top-ranked team in the state, and now you've got one of the hottest teams in the entire state that you have to contend with in Level 2. But getting back to the Big 8, Madison Memorial, the the co-conference champion, the designated champion, in fact, for the playoffs, lost at home to Sussex-Hamilton, a game that was kind of back and forth a little bit, but Sussex-Hamilton really controlled throughout. It really wasn't much in doubt during that game. And so the Big 8, uh, a real struggle. We'll see if Sun Prairie can uh, keep things alive. They've been the, about the only Big 8 school that's really made a lot of noise in the playoffs the last few years. Of course, Division I runner-up last year were in a state title game a few years ago as well, but they're carrying the flag for the Big 8 now. They take on Sussex-Hamilton this week, uh, and that's going to be a very, very tough matchup. Sussex-Hamilton is playing very well at the right time of the year, well-tested in the Greater Metro They've moved Jackson Collett to a uh, kind of a full-time role at running back. A kid that was incredibly impressive, maybe one of the maybe the most impressive player at May's WFCA combine. Missed a lot of time last year with injury. Has played at linebacker a little bit and uh, hasn't been in the backfield too much this year. But the last couple weeks, when they absolutely needed it, shifted him back there. He's a big kid, extremely athletic. Uh, headed to Wisconsin is a preferred walk-on. And he has put up some big numbers running the football the last couple of weeks, so we'll see if Sussex Hamilton can continue. But again, in Division One, the big story I think how the uh, Classic Eight has really dominated the games that they've had, and that goes again to to some of the smaller divisions, D two and D three, but then also the the struggles of the Big Eight Conference. If you look at divisions, uh, excuse me, in Division Two, not something that we see a whole lot, but you had. Three different number six seeds go on the road and get wins. Lacrosse Central beat Oregon in a very close game. Waukesha West handled Wilmot pretty easily. And that was an interesting matchup because I kind of thought that maybe Waukesha West would have got a five seed in that grouping. Uh, talked to some people down there. It, it turns out they didn't really fight for the five seed. They wanted the six seed, uh, I think, for a couple reasons. Number one, I think they like the matchup with Wilmot, who's the third seed, better than the four-seed Brookfield East. And by being the sixth seed, Waukesha West also gets away on the other side of the bracket from Brookfield Central. So West will take on Waterford this week, and those are teams that are uh, certainly familiar in the playoffs. And then how about Hartford avenging a regular season loss to West Bend East? That was one that we kind of pegged as a uh, potential upset. Uh, it was a relatively close game the first time the teams played. And Hartford, not a lot separated them from West Bend East. And Hartford goes on the road and get a win. And the other six seed, Menominee, almost beat third seeded Pulaski. That one was 23-20. to So almost had all four six seeds win, but instead three of them get the victories in division 3, kind of a similar storyline where you have two number 7 seeds that went on the road and got victories. And I think the the theme, uh, and this is a theme we see a lot in the playoffs, especially in upsets, is that strength of conference, strength of schedule, the quality of competition that teams have played in the regular season plays a big part in why some of these upsets happen, and I think certainly these ones specifically let's start with Sparta who dominated Ashland the second seeded team the champions of the great Northern Conference Sparta had uh had some really close calls in the regular season they finished under 500 but got in finished under 500 in the Mississippi Valley Conference but beat the outright conference champion Holman they beat lacrosse Central who uh I think was second or third in the uh, in the league it ended up so kind of an interesting year for Sparta, but they're playing well at the right time. And then on the other side of the bracket, you had Pewaukee go on the road and beat McFarland, who had been undefeated, champions of the Rock Valley Conference. But again, I think conference strength played a big role in that one. Pewaukee comes out of the woodland uh, Woodland West, excuse me, and I think played much, much tougher competition than McFarland did. In the, Rock, in the Rock Valley Conference, we've seen teams from the Rock Valley struggle a little bit in Division 3 They've had more success when those teams have qualified in D4 or even D5. You think of teams like Bigfoot, Broadhead Judah, both have been to state title games in the last decade. And uh, a lot of times it's those teams that qualify in the smaller divisions that uh, have a, a better postseason uh, appearance. As I've said a number of times, that that gap between D3 and D4, I think, is the biggest. The, the drop is the biggest. The jump is the biggest when you go from D3 to D4 of any of the the divisions. When you're in D3, a school like Pewaukee, you're playing a lot of D2 schools. McFarland played a lot of D4 and even D5 schools this year. And so, again, that, uh, that level of competition just... Uh, got through as Pewaukee held on or uh, uh, defeated McFarland. It was a close game, 22-21. In Division 4, how about Lodi having to go on the road as a 6 seed, the defending state champions, but they get the job done as they beat Lake Mills after losing to Lake Mills just two weeks ago. And so Lodi, the defending state champion, stays alive in Division 4. In Division 5, I think there's a couple different storylines you could look at. Number one, the quality of games in Group A, which is uh, I guess what we would call kind of the Northwestern or, or Western grouping, where you have Spencer Columbus Catholic against a very good Bloomer squad. You have Westby, the champions of the Cooley Conference, taking on Elk Mound, co-champions of the Dun saint Croix. Brady Redwine has run wild the last few weeks for Elk Mound. Can he continue that for uh, against Westby? who features their own uh, workhorse running back in Ryan Danes. So some really good games there. But how about the rematch that we get of the 2016 state title game between Amherst and Cedar Grove, Belgium? Amherst going on the road, a true road game in the playoffs for the first time since 2013, I want to say. And the only reason they went on the road that year was because that was back when the WI regulations had Uh, lower-seeded teams that won getting a home game at some point, even if they were seated lower than the team they'd face. That was before they put in uh, the the better-seeded team getting the home game all the way through Level 3. But Amherst goes on the road to take on Cedar Grove, Belgium. The last time we saw these teams play, 2016 state title game, a great game, back and forth. Cedar Grove, Belgium set a number of records that day, Josh Weiss at quarterback, Reed Hilbelink, Jason Von Heimberg catching the football. But it was Amherst that got the victory as they kicked a field goal with under 10 seconds remaining. The first made field goal for Amherst in, I think it was at the time, the seven seasons under Mark Lusick, And they kick a field goal. Uh, I think it was Carter Zabluski. Might have been Connor. Now I can't remember for sure. One of the Zabluskis kicked a field goal. In the final 10 seconds to win it, and there was a little bit of controversy at the end of that one in how the uh, the game ended and, and how the the clock was handled and the spotting of the football in a couple situations, but ultimately I think it was all handled correctly. But it was uh, Amherst getting in the win in that one. In Division Six, how about all the close games that we had in Division Six? You had Cuba City having to go to overtime to beat Wazika Seneca who had been undefeated. That was a, a matchup that we had pegged as a potential upset special. Cuba City coming out of the Swal. Wazika Seneca, the champions, and undefeated in the Ridge and Valley. You had Darlington. How about the Redbirds going on the road as a seven seed to beat second-seeded melrose Mendoro? Another game where you could look at and say strength of conference and level of competition You know during the regular season. Might have played a role in that one. Racine Lutheran had to rally to beat Pecatonica Argyle. I think it was 13-0 either in the the first half or or third quarter. At some point, Pecatonica Argyle was up, but Racine Lutheran came storming back and got the win. Spring Valley beat Mondovi 19-14. So you had some really close games that came right down to the end, Four games decided by five points or less, which isn't necessarily what we get all the time in level one or even level two. So it's good to see some of those close games and and exciting finishes in Division Six. In Division Seven, I think it's uh, a lot about looking ahead to this week, to level two, because we have four rematches out of the eight games. And then another game is between two teams from the same conference although technically it's not a rematch because they didn't play in the regular season, Reedsville and Hilbert, the unbalanced scheduling in the Big East which is an 11 team league, they did not play each other, but they are conference opponents, but there are eight regular season rematches. You have Gilman versus Loyal, rematch of a Cloverwood game that Loyal won the first time around, Almond Bancroft and Pittsville, Almond won just a couple weeks ago over Pittsville. Ithaca in Highland. That was a non conference game earlier this year. And a big reason why Highland, who snuck into the playoffs at three and four in conference play, ended up with a two seed in their group because they had beat Ithaca head to head. And the best rematch, I, I think maybe the best rematch in the state, right up there with the uh, battle for Brookfields, Blackhawk and Potosi Cassville. These teams met back in week two. The weather conditions and the field conditions were very poor. The teams combined for barely 200 yards of total offense. It was 8-6 to Blackhawk got a win over Potosi-Castville back then. Of course, Potosi-Castville went on to beat Bangor. Kind of wondered why they got a four-seed in their group behind a couple of uh, co-champions in the trailways, Fall River and Johnson Creek. Fall River fell to Benton Scales Mound, the 4th place team in the Six Rivers. So the Six Rivers looking pretty solid. Four teams still alive in Division 7. A very good showing by the Six Rivers Conference. So that's kind of a quick division-by-division look at the big storylines in each division, which gets us to our stat of the week, and that's going to lead right into our rant of the week. But our stat of the week is 13. That is the total number of teams that were seeded sixth or lower that got wins in level one. There were five, seven seeds that got victories and then eight, number six seeds that got victories. Obviously, all those were on the road. Some of them a little bit more surprising than others. There were a number of those that, uh, that I picked and that a number of people picked, or that you could at least look at and say, yeah, that was one that maybe isn't too surprising. And again, a lot of times it comes down to the level of competition, the conference strength, etc. And so that kind of leads me into my rant of the week, which is how often and how frustrating it is to hear people talk about cutting the playoff field, how there's so many blowouts and it's all about, no, there's no competitive games and yada, yada, yada. 30% of the games in level one were either won by the visiting team or by the home team, but less than 10 points. 30% of the games won by either the visiting team or the, the home team won by less than 10 points. That's a pretty competitive game. That's a lot of competitive games. I understand that there are blowouts. There's going to be blowouts no matter what you do. There's blowouts in state title games, for crying out loud. Does that mean we get rid of state title games? No. A few years ago, I did some research on what would happen if you cut the playoff field. If you cut a week out of the playoffs, instead of having 224 teams qualify, you had 112 teams qualify. And it wasn't pretty. And when you try to tell people that cutting the playoff field to 112 teams is not a good idea, I don't think they really understand what it would actually do if you cut the playoff field from 224 to 112. I did the research in 2015. You either had to be undefeated in conference, you had to finish with one loss in conference, or you had to finish five and two and there was a few 5 and 2 teams that actually got left out. If you finished 4 and 3 in conference, sorry. If you finished 500 in conference, nope. If you finished 5 and 3 in conference, you're out. There's some very good teams that finish 5 and 3 in conference, 4 and 3, 3 and 2, maybe 500 in conference play that if you cut the playoff field from 224 to 112, those teams would not get in. In 2015, based on the uh, figuring out what would have happened if you had 112 teams in, 30% of the teams that won at least one playoff game would have been left out if you cut the field to 112 teams. 30% of the teams that won a playoff game in level one would not have even qualified for the playoffs. You have to remember, it's not necessarily the blowout losers that you have in level one that would not qualify for the playoffs. A lot of times it's the teams that are in very good conferences, that are very competitive. Maybe they're a little bit smaller. I think of teams classically like Rice Lake, Catholic Memorial, teams that are on the smaller end of the enrollment scale that might struggle a little bit in the regular season, that might not have great records or or you know, might have a couple bumps along the road because they play very good competition. If you want to cut the teams to 112, the the playoff number to 112, those teams would not get in. They would struggle to get in on a consistent basis. Going back to 2015, again, if you cut the playoff field to 112, five of the teams that advanced to the state semifinals would not have made it into the playoffs. Are you a fourth-place team in your conference? Sorry, no chance. Did you tie for third? Eh, You might get in, you might not. In an eight-team league, there are some very good teams that finish third, fourth, even fifth. Look at the Classic Eight this year, a nine-team league. Six teams won playoff games in Level 1. You're going to tell me that Waukesha West didn't deserve to be in the playoffs? You're going to tell me that uh, Maguanago didn't deserve to be in the playoffs? You're going to tell me Kettle Moraine didn't deserve to be in the playoffs? If you favor cutting the playoff field, if you cut a week out of the playoffs, you cut the field down to 112, those are the kinds of things that would happen. I haven't done all the research every year since then, but certainly there have been a number of teams that have done very well in the playoffs that if you cut it to 112, they don't get in. Rice Lake this year might not even get in. And they're a one seed and one of the favorites to make it to state. But again, they're a smaller team in a bigger conference. They face very good competition. You see the drop-down effect, as we call it, when they get into the playoffs. So that's why I struggle so much when people talk about cutting the playoffs or complain about all the blowouts that you have in level one and how uh, it's, it's a watered-down field. Don't forget that football is the only sport that does not have all teams automatically into the playoffs. I know that the number of football teams every year, 11-man football teams, goes down. I, we're down to about 390 right now. So it's less, or excuse me, it's uh, more than half the teams that make the playoffs. And I, I know that some people don't like that. But again, if, you're, uh, if your idea is to eliminate a, a week of the playoffs, or maybe you're wanting to eliminate a week of the playoffs so that you can eliminate the early start date to practice, cut a, a, a game that would have to be played before school is in session. If you're one of those folks, again, keep in mind you'd be looking at two, maybe three teams out of every conference that would make the playoffs. There's hundred excuse me, there's about fifty teams, fifty to fifty-two excuse me, conferences, fifty to fifty-two conferences in the state. So there are a number of conferences that would only have two teams get into the playoffs if you cut it down to 112. Now, what is a more viable option if you are interested in cutting the playoff field? And I'm not saying this is what I would support, but if you are going to reduce the playoff field, it wouldn't actually reduce the total weeks, the total number of uh, playoff rounds or anything like that, but it would reduce the total number of playoff teams if instead of having seven divisions of 11-man football, because eight-man has become so popular and continues to become so popular, if you went to six divisions of 11-man football plus eight-man, that would get your total number of teams in 11-man football down to 196. So you would eliminate basically all the teams that finish under 500 that got in this year, plus a number of them that finished uh, at 500 in conference, I can understand that argument more than the people that argue that you need to cut an entire week out of the playoffs, that you need to reduce the playoff field down to 112, that you need to cut it in half. I don't understand that. I never will. It's not something I would ever support. And if you have people that are arguing that with you, give them some of that information that I just mentioned. I wrote an article on it and and really broke it down quite a bit a few years ago, and I'll, I'll tweet it out a little bit. Uh, later uh, this week or later today as well, about what would happen exactly if you reduce the playoff field, what it would look like if I um, re-engineered the the playoff field for for 2015. Again, if you finished five and four, well, 500 under 500, five and four, four and three, three and two, five and three, four and two, or six and three in conference, you would not get into the playoffs with 112 teams making the postseason so that's my rant of the week it's one of my bigger rants uh that that gets me all the time but since you hear it sometimes uh, after or during level one or or that week when there's a few blowouts and everybody jumps on the well not everybody but some people jump on the cut the playoff field train it really gets my uh gets my goat if you will so rant over for this week But what's not over yet are the high school football playoffs. We've got three more weeks after this week, four weeks total, of great football left on the schedule. Get out to a game. It's a great opportunity if your team's out already to get out and see some teams that you maybe haven't, you wouldn't normally. There's some great football being played around the state of Wisconsin. There's some great players that are getting a chance to showcase themselves every week in the high school football playoffs. It's going to be a fun time the next four weeks. As I said before, it's bittersweet. Half the teams are eliminated every week. But we're getting down to the cream of the crop the further that we head into the high school football playoffs. I'm Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net. This has been the Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you next time.